This is hearsay number 16 and my guest today is Darren Hanlon. You might have noticed this podcast is a little bit late. I normally put these out every two weeks and Darren and I have had so many scheduling problems with this one uh, that I couldn't make that deadline. But you guys don't care, right? Nobody cares. Um, So Darren and I were going to do this interview about a month ago and I'll try and give you a little bit of a rundown on what happened because it is pretty funny. Um, Firstly, I called Darren a few days before he was flying to the States and he didn't have anything to record on where he was. So we organised to do it after he'd arrived in the States a few days later. So during these few days, I stacked it super badly off my bike. Um, I had to go to hospital in an ambulance and get stitches in my foot. It was all very dramatic. Um, Then I got a call from him a few days later from his Australian number um, saying that he'd been turned away from the airport on arrival and been sent home, uh, which is insane because he had a visa and everything. Anyway, I said for him to give me a call when he'd sorted out his visa stuff and had recording stuff around him. Then the night we organised, I had like the most horrible food poisoning and I thought I was dying. (laughs) Then when we finally talked a few days after that, he had brought a new uh, recording gadget and it kept running out of battery and space on his SD card. So we did all of that um, in pieces. We did most of it, but like, yeah, in pieces. And um, while he was working out how to use this thing, I thought maybe I could edit that together into one podcast and then just record the last question in Brisbane because he'd organised a few shows while he was waiting for his visa to come through. Anyway, that ended up being complicated time-wise. So he left for the States the day after the Brisbane show and we finally organised a time to chat this week. Uh, We did the whole thing again and as soon as I pressed record, a concrete truck started fucking pouring concrete outside my house, which was super noisy. And then when Darren sent me the audio of his side, he had accidentally recorded it super low bitrate, so it's insanely chirpy. (laughs) Um, But after all we went through, I've decided to release it. You just have to pretend it's recorded through Skype or something and I think you'll get used to the chirp once you get into it. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this podcast. Um, The amazing picture is drawn by Scott Edgar because he's an absolute legend who can knock out incredible illustrations super quick and happened not to be busy when I asked him at the last minute. So thank you, Scott. Here you go. Hearsay number 16, Darren Hanlon. Darren. Hi, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. I'm just um, sitting in this little room here in Portland. Yeah. Um, the sun is going down. Lovely. Uh, it's, it's summer here already. And you finally made it <laughs> after yeah. a lot of issues. Tell me about that. Well, I um, Well, this time... I got detained for no reason at all coming through San Francisco airport um, about a month, a bit over a month ago. Yeah. And then was just like stuck in this room for nine hours. And yeah, and then I found out I was going home just when the um, the Air New Zealand rep came through to um, collect my bags. 
That is insane. And they never gave you a reason why. No, they just said that it appeared that I was entering the United States for touristic purposes, even though um, even though I had um, gigs booked and everything. Oh, okay. But that mm. was that not true though. You, did you, you had a, a different visa? I've got an O one visa, which is the extraordinary alien visa. Yeah, I love that they call it that. <laughs> I know, and you know. Um, when, when the guy, I asked to speak to a superior when I, when I worked out, I was going home and, and the girl who's taken my statement, I said, do you know what I've actually done wrong? And she goes, no, I'm just new here. And I was like, well, maybe you should know because yeah. this is kind of my life that you've got in your hands right now. So she went, bless her. She went and got the, her superior and he came in and he's explaining he, what he said to me. He goes, you, um, we're not. We don't. We're not saying you're a criminal. We're just saying we're not very happy with you. <laughs> I don't know what that means. And you were still like, why? Why? Yeah. <laughs> and, he got, and he got. And he was just like, it's fine. Like, just go home and get another visa and come back. Like, you'll be fine. And um, I said, but the visa cost me four thousand dollars to get. And he goes, oh, you'll just, you'll get that money back when you get back here. It'll just take two gigs. And I said, oh. what? He, go, he goes, you're an extraordinary alien. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't, we don't just give these visas out to anyone. And I said, I'm not that extraordinary. <laughs> but I am an alien, so. I'm an alien. I, I should have applied for the ordinary alien visa. He didn't get, he didn't get that. So then you, they sent you all the way back and yeah. you had to get, what then, did you have to get another visa? Um, yeah, well, luckily, um, it was proven that they were in, in the wrong. So, um, so I was able to just get this one reinstated after, you know, a further $500 or something just to talk to them. But, um, so then I, I I will get, I will be detained now every single time just so they can check me out. So I just have to be armed to the teeth with proof of my extraordinarily alien ability. Activity. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been detained once and it was when um, we were traveling over the border f- like in from Winnipeg to the States mm. and they, like it was with Sekiden, they, they separated us all and it was freezing cold in the middle of winter. They put us all in separate rooms and asked us questions about why we were there and we had the correct working visa as well. They were just so full-on and aggressive and I remember it was freezing and I remember saying can I please get my jacket from the car and they said no you can't oh <laughs> no and we were probably in this room like not probably not that long maybe just like an hour or two but uh, you know it was so full-on because you don't know what you've done wrong and that it's like they were trying to catch us out mm. and yeah and then they couldn't find anything and we got to go. And what happened? You just got... We just got to go after a, a couple of hours. They, they All of you? Took a, yeah, they took... So we were in a like a Tarago van. They took mm. every every instrument out. You know, it was packed to the brim because we had a drum kit and amps and mm. everything. Um, they, they unpacked it all. They took everything out of the van. And then they were like, oh, no, you're fine. And we had to pack our van back up and, and go. Oh, it no. Was super annoying. But yeah, I can imagine it would be a lot more uh, scary if it was nine hours and you were just on your own. That sounds horrible. Mm. Yeah, I remember when um, the Simpletons were touring um, 
oh, years ago and we got pulled up by a, a cop somewhere at the like a border check. It was really yeah. weird going like in Australia. Um, uh-huh. And um, the, the sniffer dog, it was like it was a drug check. That's right, just in the Hume Highway. And the, um, and the sniffer dog came on board and ate all my um, breakfast cereal. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I was spewing. Why, I thought they were trained not to eat food. This one wasn't. Badly trained. Yeah, it's a greedy, greedy little. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe they were just trying to feed their dogs for free. I don't know. Maybe yeah, it was maybe. Like a budget. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they weren't cops at all. Maybe Lucky there was no chocolate in my bag. Can make dogs yeah. really sick. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. Hey, I'm really glad we um, finally got to talk. I think between us, in the last month, we've had. Uh, you know, deportation, we've had food poisoning. You stacked your bike. I stacked my bike and have a huge cut on my foot, can't walk properly. Yeah. We've had all kinds of technological issues. Mm-hmm. Batteries um, failing. Yeah. Got a new gadget. You got a new gadget. I'm just so happy that, that we finally made it. It was really like fate was against us, but we pushed People through. said we never would. People, I mean, I I've heard it said that this podcast was never going to happen. I know, but we showed them. Mm. Unless we have another mishap in the next hour. Oh, look, anything could happen. <laughs> it's true. That's true. Um, well, while I have you, I'm going to ask you some questions about <laughs> your life okay. and your music before, okay. before it all goes to shit. <laughs> wow. Probing interview. <laughs> so I guess I really want to talk to you about... Um, where you grew up and when you started liking music. Do you remember, can you pinpoint the time when you started, you know, remembering things you were listening to when you were little? Uh, well, my parents sent me to guitar lessons very early. Down, it was in this little room under Hooper's Music Centre in Gympie. And um, I think we just le- like learnt really basic songs, Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley and stuff. And um, I wasn't really into it. I was just thought, oh, well, I've got to do it. I, it felt like I, it was like going to school or something. It wasn't really. Yeah. But then when I, when, when I started singing, I got the Beatles songbook. Great. And I worked my way through that. I don't know how good I was singing. My, my grandma used to encourage me not to sing. She would say, <laughs> your voice, you know, you need to work on that. Um, so, but once, yeah, once, once I learned that, um, yeah, like Singing for me was more fun than playing the, the guitar. Yeah, right. Um, but you need you needed accompaniment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then Dad and I built a PA system. So what? you know when we started actually doing live gigs and stuff like that. But I'd set that up just in the lounge room at home and just sing songs for hours and hours and must have driven the neighbours mad. <laughs> so I was like pretending I was you know mad in my in my head I was on stage somewhere and. There was people, That's awesome. just the audience was going wild, but in reality, I was just in <laughs> mum and dad's lounge room in Southside. <laughs> so how old were you when you started playing shows? I think I was probably around 15. 14 and or 15, were, you, yeah. were you doing those solo? What were you doing? Oh, no, no, I was in bands. So mum and dad also signed me up um, uh, in a local band. I don't know. How, actually, I don't know how they found out that they needed someone, but... Um, yeah, there was um, there was just this local dance band that needed needed a guitar player, so I joined that. I called Western Express. <laughs> you 
Good name. Yeah, and we I think yeah we we did we had to wear I had to wear like a western sh- style shirt that was part of the uniform, and we would play at just country dances every weekend. That's great. And so mm. you were just fifteen and playing at all these dances. Were you earning some money? Yeah, it was good money. Great. It was um it was you know we'd play all night um and it was like sixty forty that's what they said sixty. 60% dance music and 40% rock and roll. <laughs> Have you heard Accurate. that before? No. <laughs> okay, what do you play? Oh, 60-40. Oh, I've never <laughs> heard that. <laughs> yeah, we're a 60-40 band, yeah. And what was it? Was that accurate? Was it about 60%? It felt, felt 80-20 to me. Yeah. I, wanted, right. I was interested in the 20, but it was all about that. Because we're, we're playing like, you know, it was old people were doing... Gypsy taps and um, barn dances and stuff like that. Yeah, right. It'll be, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, select your partners for a gypsy tap. <laughs> so it was the same guitar riff that started every gypsy tap. Yeah, right. I had to learn that riff in every single key. Just now, 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 now. Yeah. Now, 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 Oh, that was fun. That was kind of Elvis, um, Buddy Holly, and the Beatles, and um, awesome. Already knew that Johnny Be Good was the big one. I got, I think I got kicked out of that band for going bananas playing Johnny Be Good. <laughs> Did like a knee slide or something at the lower, lower Wonga Hall. <laughs> Wait, had you just watched Back to the Future and you're yeah. like, I want to be that cool. And in fact, I just watched it on the plane coming over here. I rewatched it. Did you? Yeah, it had been a while. One? Yeah, the first one. Yeah, I haven't seen it for ages. Oh, Maybe it holds I up. Rewatch it. Oh, great. It's what so about? Good. I wonder if the other ones hold up or just the first one. I don't remember loving them as much as the first one. Yeah, well, the first one's a bit life changing. It opens your mind when you're a kid, and you know, to time travel and all that. And to and to Chuck Berry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Before you knew that he liked to shit on prostitutes. <laughs> is that what he did? Isn't it? Isn't that Oh, what I don't even know yeah. that. Oh, I don't know. Spo- Maybe spoiler. I'll just make that up. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So what what happened after, after you got kicked out of the band for going crazy on the Johnny Be Good? Oh, there were other bands in Gympie. Um, plenty more fish in the sea. So um, I joined... I can't remember doing many gigs in these other bands. I remember rehearsing a lot. There was the Lost Boys, yeah. um, and we only ever did Bon Jovi covers. <laughs> and um, that's great. I don't. I don't think we ever did it. Well, I didn't do a show with them. I did rehearse a lot, and they were much older than me. I remember them being not very friendly, but somehow wow. I, I got the. I couldn't even tell you who was in it. I just. I think mum and dad were just trying to manage me or something. They just dropped me off at these places. and <laughs> With these uh, old dudes playing. Yeah, John playing Bon Jovi. Did, yeah. did you do any singing in that band? No, not, it, nor the other one. I was just a guitar player. Okay. Um, and, um, and, then that, and then I joined a band called Mixed Business. Yeah. And we did lots of covers. Um, 60, again, 40? No, just all, just all rock and roll. Okay. All rock and 100%. roll. 100%. 100%. 100% rock. And then they became, they thought the name sucked. So we voted for a name change and so Mixed Business became Electric Energy. That's so good. Yeah. 
And so how old were you at this point? What what was it, what else was happening in your life? It must have still been around 16, 17 because then so I... was still in school. Yeah, I just thought it was pretty daggy. So then in 18, just before I left school, I made my own band that did, you know, by then I was like into some pretty deep stuff. So um, <laughs> What kind of deep stuff? Oh, The Cure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that period of one's life. Pretty, yeah. Oh, yeah, like um, I'd gone through punk and everything by then. I was lucky enough to have this teacher that... Um, that turned me on to all that stuff. Great. That's what you need. I, I was really lucky I had my brother to turn me on to all that stuff when I was younger. What did he, yeah, what did he hook you up with? Well, I remember it specifically like Guns N' Roses and, you know, like Skid Row and stuff like that. That, okay. was, you know, was a big change from me. I was probably listening to like Roxette or something. <laughs> before right. That, so... So that kind of blew my mind a bit. Yeah, right. So it sounded like punk music almost hearing Guns N' Roses. Yeah, to you. it was yeah, it was great. I loved all that stuff. And then, you know, and then like a little bit later that got me into like um, you know, cool music like Sonic Youth and stuff. Okay. Oh, and yeah. your brother helped with that as well? Yeah, yeah, he he pretty much got me onto everything up until oh. I was a teenager. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're lucky to have these people. I know. So yours was a teacher at your school? He was a teacher at, at Gympie High at the other school, but he lived with um, my manual arts teacher. Yeah, right. And um, so, and they lived on my street, so I was able to just go hang out there. And I was just kind of, nice. yeah, my, my, I guess I was, I, my ears were open to, um, yeah. to new, new things already. So, you know, when I'd go to his house and it was just like, he just plays something new every single time. That's great. It's it's such a good time in your life, isn't it? Like when you're around, yeah, like teenage up to like 20 or something, your mind oh, yeah. just gets filled with all this amazing stuff. And because he was also a collector, so it, it, it kind of instilled that idea of how precious these actual objects are. Yeah, yeah. You know, that where the music comes out of, just the covers and... Um, and just, you know, finding these things in bargain bins. So I started going to Brisbane and just scouring the the record bins to, to find, try and, fo- like, copy his collection a bit. And do, do you have a bit of a vinyl collection now? Yeah, well, I've still got, they're all still in Gympie, but all the ones I bought through school, there's a few cupboards full there, um, which is mainly, you know, like, alternative, well, I guess you call it alternative, for want of a better word, like, punk yeah. music and f- not a lot of folk music but lots of punk music and um uh just just weird weird you know punk pop bands from australia cool i really loved the particles the particles were my favorite band um i've never heard of them oh they were great they were a sydney band um what were they like a punk band there's pop elements they just they, you wouldn't call them punk um, like almost new wave or something. Um, cool. but, uh, like awesome feminist singer, um, who, uh, I never got to meet sadly, but, um, and that, and they never put out an album. They just put out seven inches, but I end, ended up collecting them all and just awesome. played them to death. Yeah. I'll make sure I look them up. And the honeys was my other favorite. And at the time when I was, when I, when, you know, I was in year 12 and coming down to, um, Brisbane. All the record shops were playing the Honeys album. You just heard it so much. And, uh, yeah, 
That's just the what? sound of year 12 for me, honeys. The sound of my year 12 was like the Melnicks. Oh, that's a good sound. Soundtrack. The Melnicks and Biro, probably. Brisbane yeah. Band. Oh, Brisbane had such an awesome scene going. Did you spend much time in Brisbane back then, apart from like record scouring? Yeah, well, then, you know, I, I managed to be able to sneak into lots of gigs. Um, yeah. So I started trying to get in. Like Billy, my, my parents drove us down to see Billy Bragg a couple of times wow. when we were still in high school. Um, and that was, I snuck into one of them. I was underage. It was the East Leagues Club. Yeah, right. In, in, in Brisbane. I can't remember who supported him, but I got to see Billy Bragg solo and it was just, just unbelievable. That's So your parents have really good music taste then? I don't think they were into it, but they knew how much I loved it. Oh, so right. <laughs> drove me down there and um, and they drove me and my girlfriend in year 12 down to see him play again at Festival Hall with the band. Wow. Imagine if you, you could have told your little self that you would be touring so much with him later on in life. Oh, it's it's still weird. If every time I um, just hear his voice, I'm still I'm just that kid again, just sycophantic Aww. little weirdo. <laughs> when you got to tour with him, do you feel like you were a weirdo when you met him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just can't, and I don't want to. I don't want to lose that feeling. You can't. No. You know, you you just. I just can't think of him as just like, I don't know, a contemporary or whatever. I don't know. He's yeah. just he's just always the hero. Yeah, he's otherworldly for sure. Yeah. I think I, I would be weird if I would met him too. And we went, well, when we were kids, we went around to backstage and um, mum and dad actually said, why don't you go around and get his autograph? So um, there was a little room where often – that people would hang out to give autographs after the um, – because I, I knew that because um, Dad had taken me to see Rick Mail in concert. What? And Ben Elton. That's like, awesome. At, oh. That was kind of just as the young ones were kind of just finishing up, you know. Oh, Rick Mail is like one of my absolute favourite people ever. Did you know he played Festival Hall? No, I must have been too young. Yeah, he, um, he did a, a, a whole – Stand-up comedy as Rick. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Did you love it? Yeah, I was mad into the young ones. So, um, Me too. Dad took me there. And then I remember we were walking back to the car and these people were going nuts because they just met Rick Mail at this, this little side door. So we went round there and there he was. And, um, yeah, he autographed a poster for me. Oh, do you still and, have uh, it? Yeah, it'd be somewhere. I haven't seen it for a, since it, we probably did it but um yeah I was really young you know that was yeah I was way too young to go to a concert on my own oh, um that's so, so cool then, that you got to go to that yeah and then years later um uh or it's it's sucks that we didn't have a camera or something that would have been I would yeah. have loved to have a photo with Rick Mail yeah, just a little little Darren. Yeah. <laughs> Rick Malbert, I would love to see that. Years later then, we we, we remembered where that door was, where we'd met Rick Mail, so that oh, yeah. they were like, let's go around and see if Billy's there. And there he was. He was in the same little room, just around the other side of Festival Hall. And um, I remember going, so Billy, what's, um, what's um, Valentine's Day is over about? What did he say? I remember him saying, well, price I pay came out of Valentine's Day. 
It was like a lie. He was trying to tell me how these two songs, how, how one song can become two songs. He just took a line and made a whole another another song. And I remember him hugging my girlfriend. Um, Simone, he goes, oh, Simone, you're so soft. <laughs> I'll always remember him saying that. Have you, how do you go with meeting heroes normally? Have you met any other like absolute heroes like that? Sure I have. He's kind of, well, yeah, I've met definitely lots of, lots of songwriters that I just, just go a bit gaga over, but Billy's kind of just got that, more of that childhood, um, uh, you know, nostalgia. Cause I just, yeah. I wore the grooves off those records Aww. Uh, in the dark on the lounge room floor, you know, just, just over and over and over. So that, so Billy's, yeah, I don't think there's anyone that has more of that nostalgia um, trip for me, but you know, um, I was a big, I've always, since, since I heard their first heard them, the magnetic fields, I was always a big fan of and, um, yeah. um, and then ended up touring with them a lot, and people are always terrified of Stephen Merritt for whatever reason. Um, he's he can be an intimidating <laughs> guy, but I found him easier than anyone. He was just so awesome and um, just very encouraging with songwriting. He was just we, we talked That's about so it a nice. bit. And, um, he was, um, you know, always giving little tips on songwriting and things like that. From what I see, I've never met the guy, but uh, he's certainly has that uh, kind of scary, intimidating vibe in interviews and and even through some of his... I mean, a lot of his songs are really comical, but I think he does have that sort of undertone of dark misery (laughs) or something that is a bit scary. Well, he's he's hyper-intelligent and he doesn't suffer fools, you know, so I guess you're worried about um, just, you know... I've been, well, I just, I always try and just crack jokes. Like that's just, and, and, um, like making him laugh is just the, the best feeling in the world. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel really smart? <laughs> Not smart. I don't know. And it's always, you try really hard and it never works. And then, and then the most off, off center thing will, will set him off. Yeah. I remember when I, I don't know, I think you might've supported this tour, but when they played in Brisbane, I went to the show at The Healer. Yeah. And um, I remember them being really jet-lagged. It must have been the day after they arrived in Australia. Yeah, yeah. And, I and they that. all had the giggles really bad. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I, and I, I remember, do. like, um, Stephen Merritt told this story about, he said, you know, I'm just going to tell the worst story to try and stop us from laughing. And he said uh, he just read this article about a woman that was raped and got pregnant and then they also found out she had AIDS. Well, no, she was in a, she was in a coma in a hospital. Right, yeah. Oh, I know. It was the most horrific story. Then they all just burst out laughing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just like the horrible jet lag, like they couldn't control themselves. And my parents were at that gig too and I remember talking oh, no. them up and I was like, why are you telling this story? This is so... <laughs> I was shocked. That was actually the first... Um, first show I've ever played with them. Oh, really? That was the first of many, yeah. It was really, it was a really funny, interesting um, show because, yeah, I think everyone was like, oh, my God, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And then the whole audience just laughed with them because it was just so ridiculous. (laughs) I'm glad you were at that show. I did, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. So let's go back to um, 
when you started playing in touring bands, is was the Simpletons your first touring band? Yes, yeah. And did you guys go to uni together? How did you guys all meet? Yeah, we're all at university. Um, I was doing doing the jazz guitar course at Lismore Uni, and um, and then the others were all doing. They're all doing weird stuff. Like the other, the only other music student was the drummer Steve, and and then Shane was like a communications major and and the bass player was science so it was you know it was a pretty eclectic mix there (laughs) but they were i remember i mean i i wasn't in the band when they when they kind of rose through the ranks of the lismore scene um but i was just really taken with them they were called playground at the time okay um and so they'd play all the time at the club university clubhouse and I'd go and watch them and I thought they were like the Smiths or something. I really loved, <laughs> I loved Brad's bass lines, but Brad has very melodic bass lines. Um, he's not, you know, he's not a trained musician, so he's just, he's just playing what he hears in his head. Um, yeah. And it's just, yeah, he was, and he would jig around all over the place. And then Shane had, um, you know, really great lyrics and, you know, we all came from, um, a similar background. We all, um, grew up listening to Billy Bragg. Awesome. It's funny that whole Candle Records crew. Um, we, you know, we found each other um, from different corners of Australia, and and all had had grown up listening to the same stuff. Oh, that's lovely. So you're all um, bound by the love of Billy Bragg. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote him a letter once, and um, and explaining because he was a he was a he's a Luxmiths fan, and he was a Simpletons fan, and um, yeah. Uh, I wrote, I think when his son was born, he told me that they would do car trips and listen to the Luxmiths a lot. And, um, he loved, he loved the golden age of aviation song. Yeah. Yeah. Play play that for his son. (laughs) And, um, so yeah, I wrote him a letter saying how we all, we all found each other through his music. And yeah, I think that's That's how I got to, got to tour with him. Yeah. Right. So you wrote, did you write that letter before you knew him? Well, the Simpletons had supported him for one show in Sydney. Yeah. But we didn't, you know, we didn't really hang out or anything. We just, we're just, we're all too nervous. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then, and then I, there's the, you know, the famous one for me was when I was supposed to be traveling with Mick Thomas. I was, I was playing guitar for Mick Thomas from Weddings Parties yeah. and Anything. And him and Billy were g- are really good mates and, um. I was did my first tour of um, America on my uh, yeah just on the Greyhound, just cruising around, and yeah. um, uh, and uh, Mick was was um, booked in to support Billy at in Toronto, um, and I was going to meet Mick up there just to get the Greyhound bus up there and um, and that was going to be a little money you know to help me along the way as well. Because I was yeah. just I was just kind of busking half the time and doing just playing in record shops and cafes and stuff like that, and so yeah. Um, but then a couple of weeks before the gig, I I heard that Mick had pulled out of this show, and right. so, but I'd already bought my bus ticket up there, and I was just gutted, you know. Um, so I, you know, put a hanky over the phone receiver and um, pretended <laughs> I was my manager, my own manager, and said. Oh, I got this, yeah, I got this uh, Darren Hanlon fellow. He's in the Simpletons. I think you remember <laughs> Billy played with the Simpletons. And um, 
we hear there's an opening in the Toronto show, so um, would you be interested? And they're like, okay, uh, we'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> and then they never got back to me. Aww. So the night of the show, I just rocked up. And I was like, oh, hi, my manager called you guys, and I don't know if you got, yeah. If we, um, and they're like, oh, you're here. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, don't, I still don't know how Billy did, hadn't organized another support. But um, they just said, all right, you got 20 minutes. We can't pay you. Um, just, yeah, go for it. Wow. And so, yeah, that was in, in, in a massive 2,000-seat um, hall and theatre kind of thing. And, um, yeah, I, there was no support. There was no support listed. So when I came out on stage alone, everyone thought it was Billy and just went bananas. <laughs> Until I s- stepped into the spotlight, and then it, and then everyone just was kind of embarrassed, petering out of like, who is that? <laughs> but you obviously nailed it. You obviously made an impression on Billy, at least. It was one of the best nights of my life. It's it. It was just, you know, um, it's one of those gigs where you just, yeah, uh, it just felt so good. And um, I can't not believe that you just. I would be so scared to just go, hello, I'm here for the show. <laughs> well, I was going anyway. I was, I'd already got my ticket and I was like, I've got nowhere else to be. I'm just going to go and see what happens. And Just bring your guitar just in case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then the night, you know, I, was, I talked to Billy and um, uh, I think I sent him, yeah, I sent him the letter after that show. But um, we had a quick chat together and, um, and then afterwards I was – uh, this guy had met – I just asked this guy for directions at the train station earlier or the bus station. Yeah. And um, I ended up hanging out with him and his friend all afternoon and I ended up getting them into the show um, and he – as my guests and he said I could stay at his house. Yeah. Um, so after the show, I had his phone number written on a little piece of paper and I was heading to find a public phone and all these people – and I'd s- literally sold every single CD – I had wow with me, so I'd sold you know nearly a hundred CDs at this show. Wow! And um, so my wallet was just like packed full of Canadian dollars. <laughs> I was like, "This is the big time! Like, this is you know, <laughs> I've this, made it. Yeah, I've made it." And um, I get to the pub, and all these people were, were at the um, the gig, and they're like, "Hey, you're the Australian. Um, come and let us buy let, let's buy you a drink." So for the next few hours, I was just just stuck in this pub chatting to heaps of the locals. Yeah. So, you know, I was kind of under the weather by the time I was leaving there. So I went to the, I went to the phone box in the, the little phone in the pub and um, rang this guy that I'd met at the station and got his address and, um, and then ran outside, jumped in a cab and started heading off towards this guy's house. And um, a few minutes into the, the, um, taxi journey i realized my i don't have my wallet oh no yeah so i was like oh no you have to turn around so we turned around and we went back to the venue and the the pub's shut you know everyone's gone it's just like lights out and um i look through the window and there's my wallet sitting on top of the (gasps) phone it's still just sitting there (laughs) and so i'm just like back and 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 just as i realized the wallet's there the cab drives off with all my stuff in it. No. Yeah, it drives off with my guitar and my backpack and 
shit. And everything. And um, I was like, oh, no, this is this night's just really taken a turn for the worse. <laughs> and so I bashed on the window of this pub and finally, you know, there was a bartender still in there cleaning up. And, he, and, he, and I was like pointing at the, the phone and he saw the wallet and he brought it out to me and um, it still had all the money in it. And, <sighs> and then the cab pulls back up and I was like, what the hell? He goes, I was teaching you a lesson. You never leave your stuff in a cab. Wow. Un- unattended. He goes, I just taught you a valuable lesson. It's like, you dick. That's so crazy. Yeah. I would have cried. <laughs> yeah, for a moment there, I'd, I'd lost everything for a moment in time. Like greatest night of your life to the worst. Yeah. And the greatest again. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a palindrome of emotions. <laughs> wow, that's, um, that's heavy. Mm. So I went to your show the other night, last week. And yeah. I loved it. I hadn't seen you play in it in a while. Um, and first of all, I, I mean, I always think this when I see you play. I always think that you're such an amazing guitarist because you're able to play these songs that are quite simplistic chord structure, but then you do these amazing little intricate, like little solo bits in the middle of phrases. You mentioned the other day that, you know, you, you've spent so much time studying jazz um, to do all these little licks. Um, but do you, when you write songs, do you think about things in that academic way? Do you think, you know, that this chord goes with this chord goes with this chord or do you, do you just let it happen? Yeah, it's mostly let it happen. You know, I don't, um, you never go like, oh, the, this G minor is, is the blah, blah, blah chord. Of this <laughs> chord. No, no, that's all out. It's gone. I pre- look, I appreciate you the big ups on the guitar playing. That's, um, that's, you know, I'm stoked. My ego's just gone through the roof here in Portland. Um, but no, um, yeah, I don't, um, I don't, yeah, I, it's take, I learned jazz for three years and it, I've just been slowly forgetting it as, as I go, but it, yeah. it taught me, I think three years of jazz college just taught me how to listen to jazz records more than anything. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really, and all that, all the guitar stuff is more rock and, you know, like Chuck, like just listening to old fifties rock and roll and all that, you know? Yeah. Um, like, but it is, it is hard to do. I mean, I, I've been playing guitar for a while and I don't, I'm not very good at those little intricate bits, but I find it, you know, it doesn't come naturally when you know how to play chords. Like you really have to practice that shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess a lot of when you think about early rock and roll, maybe a lot of those guys were jazz jazz guys. I mean, you listen to the the solo in. I think one of the best solos, my favorite solos, is "Rock Around the Clock." It's such a great guitar solo. Is that just like a like like high chords? It's it's got like a it's got the it's got a real frenetic like um, intro to it, and then it kind of gets more like um, it's really well structured solo. And then it does like the, the string slide, digga 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 digga. Oh, yeah, it does yeah. the like right at the end, and then it just yeah. finishes with with the riff. It's brilliant. You do a, quite a lot of soloing. Yeah, well, yeah. I think it's just all just just from, and also to make it more interesting for me when you're doing solo gigs and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I love throwing a few little little things in there. You know, for years I did. I was the lead guitarist in lots of bands. So yeah, um, you got you got lots of practice in. Yeah, got lots of practice. <laughs> I always think that anyone who can do that, um, like circular finger picking, like that Leonard Cohen style finger picking, I always think yeah. anyone who can do that is like a guitar god to me. 
finger picking is so impressive, isn't it? That's it is, yeah. especially that like super fast, you know, like um, Leonard Cohen's Stranger song, um, like almost like frailing, yeah, yeah. And you've got a couple of songs like that, I think, that like circular finger picking pattern. There's one one on the last album that um, I don't often play it like that live. Is it the My Love Is an Ocean Away? That one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've been doing that just strummy, strummy live um, because it does uh, – thing with – yeah, if I start thinking that I'm finger-picking, they all just – my fingers just get all tangled up. Yeah. <laughs> I, need, I, need, I need to practice more. Yeah, it needs to be muscle memory. That song took a lot of takes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Speaking of your last record, I've been listening to it a little bit this week after I saw you play because there was a few songs that were a bit unfamiliar to me in your show. Yeah. And um, I wanted to ask you, so that one was sort of recorded in lots of different cities in the States, right? Like Nashville and New Orleans and stuff. Yeah. Who are all these people that were playing on it? It sounds so beautiful and quite often really like um, deliberated, like the the instruments sound like they, they sort of mesh together so perfectly um well it's it's actually the least produced album really because yeah because um uh there's not as many moving parts um so often i just find the rhythm section in each town and and then we would yeah well i booked the studio a week in advance and i kind of write songs through the week for that and often i'd know who was going to play on it and so i'd try and write and kind of cater the songs for who was going to be on it. So for Memphis, you know, I really wanted something that had a bit of a, you know, like a soul feel. Even yeah. though in my Queensland, southeast Queensland brain, um, attempting soul is something different from someone who was born in Memphis. I'm yeah, sure. for sure. Because the drummer, the drummer was Al Green's drummer. Wow. Um, and he, um, he just couldn't. <laughs> I think I was the straightest dude he'd ever played with <laughs> um so he was um yeah he struggled a bit he's like man you're taking me back to school <laughs> that's great but we eventually got it once we locked in together it um it worked you know, yeah it really right worked. and and the manhole cover one yep well how did that come about was that like a field recording or did you do that in the studio as well no no that's on the street in new orleans so that was um um, this kid that I'd seen busking on the first trip through New Orleans when I was just like on a, when I just did the, I had a bus, uh, uh, Amtrak pass. Yeah, right. And he, these kids would, um, cut the tops off Coke cans and nail them into their Nikes. Yeah. And do these, um, do these tap dances on man, on actual manhole covers. Wow. And the rattlier the better, you know, so yeah. they would get these, these awesome rhythms. This one kid was just the best at it. And so um, I went up to him and said, would you, I just, I just watched them for hours and, well, not for hours, just, you know, like sat there for half an hour, just, just, just taking it all in. And I started getting these rhythms and words in my head. And I just went up to him and said, would you be interested in, in, um, in recording something someday? And he's like, oh yeah. And he gave me his phone number. And so the next time when I went down to New Orleans, I rang it, and it turned out it was his mum's. He was, he was actually fifteen years old. This kid, yeah, he never. You, he looked a lot older, and um, his mum, because I had an accent, you know, thought I was some like hotshot British producer. So <laughs> she she rang his school to see if 
they would let him out of school so I would um could record him. Oh. And uh, I was like, no, no, it's cool. Like, we'll wait till after school, and um, you know, don't you don't have to go out of your way for that. So that afternoon, there was this crazy goose chase. I was I was chasing because his accent was so thick. I had really a lot of trouble understanding what he was saying on the phone. Yeah. And I kind of worked out where he was, and I was, I was we were just following his school bus, you know, until we managed to indicate to him that we were just behind him and he, he got off at the next stop with his friends and then we had to find like go through all these bins to find a coke can and then you know there were no nails around so we found um a construction site nearby and they threw down some nails and um we ended up yeah just doing it on the spot wow and and did you you already had those lyrics written it's a bit of a rap isn't it lyrics came really quickly and, um, and you know, I only recorded it on my phone, so it's a really crappy recording. I wasn't sure if you'd made it sound like that or if it actually did sound like that. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, it's just, just the iPhone. And, you know, by that stage, um, um, you know, the, the record, the album was pretty much finished and, um, I just used tons of people that I'd just met, you know, on the street. So I might, I was really looking out for people like him and just weird, weird um, street performers and buskers. And there's a couple of buskers on the album. I want to talk to you a bit about your lyrics because it's such a special part of your music. And I feel like there's so many songs in your repertoire that really move me. So I think like one of them in particular is I Wish That I Was Beautiful For You. I think that's such a beautiful song. How do you go about writing lyrics? Do you normally... Like, d- does the song start with one idea or do you do you have a notebook where you write things down during the day or well, how do you go about it? Yeah, um, I think well, I have a notebook um, which gets used less and less these days. The ideas are, <laughs> are slowing down a bit, I think. Um, well, because also I'm trying to write more stories as well um, and so my brain's kind of switched over to that a little bit. But um, I think when you're writing music... Um, your brain does switch, your antenna switches a little differently. Yeah. So you are looking for different things. It's a bit more um, ephemeral or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, whereas stories, you're looking for actual cold hard facts or or things that, well, I am anyway, looking for more actual visual detail and um, things like that. So, uh, but songs, it's just a bit more mysterious, I guess. And Yeah. Um, songs like Wish I Was Beautiful, um happened really quickly really uh, yeah that one that one happened really quickly and um there's yeah all different kinds especially you know something like um waited for the 17 one about the but like i've got a few got a few public transport songs up my sleeve <laughs> and they're always easier to write than than the, the ones about your feelings or yeah. something else you know because it's almost like a, a newspaper report yeah well, my latest favourite song of yours, um, it's just because I've been listening to your latest album a lot this week, is The Letter from Australian Mining Town. Oh, cool. It's so detailed and it's a long song, but I'm I'm a real fan of the long song. And it's such a beautiful melody too. Like, I mean, the lyrics are really detailed and lovely, but I think the thing that I love about that song is that, like, it doesn't go back to the root note as quickly as you'd imagine it would. Do you think about stuff like that when you're writing or do you just, it just sort of comes out? Yeah, I don't tend to overthink those. I probably overthink the lyrics more than anything. I, I'm always trying to 
edit yourself a little bit or just, you know, often often the songs will be really overwritten and then you'll have to, like, pair them back. But that that one gets overlooked a fair bit because it is so long. I don't know. I've just been always so um, nervous about playing it live. Oh, it's so beautiful. You should definitely play it more often. Well, this last tour was the, the, the first time, really. Um, so it's, yeah... It's um, it's an epic. You've had a few songs sung by other people on your records. Does that change your relationship with songs once you hear someone else singing them? It's they're the ones that I can actually stand to listen to <laughs> years later. Um, I, I yeah, that's why I do it. Um, just to hear someone else's voice, and it breaks up the album nicely. I'm a big yeah. fan of it. Um, writing for someone else, but then you know you can always do the songs live yourself yeah. or whatever. But um. But say with this last one, like El King sang the um, the Will of the River, but I, you know, I pretty much wrote it for her anyway to sing. You know, she wasn't kind of the megastar she is now. Yeah, she was just living upstairs from the house that I was staying at in Nashville, and we were all jamming a lot, and I just really liked her voice. Yeah, she's got a beautiful voice. It's amazing. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that song was done really quickly. I love that I have this... Um I have this impression of you like really spending days, weeks, months over these songs and at each one that I say that, that I think that about, you're like, nah, that one happened like an... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might have picked the two rare ones because <laughs> so many, I, there's there's songs I haven't, that I've been trying to write for years that are still, yeah, on the drawing board. Often I have to, I seriously have to get a bus out of town and just stay in a caravan park just so I'm not distracted and um, yeah. get these things finished. But then you always find distractions out there too. There's distractions yeah, everywhere. Yeah, they're everywhere. Um, so I guess I really want to ask you my final question, uh, which mm. is the same for everyone. Um, what is your story? What is your worst or strangest show story? Um. It's hard. There's different categories for worse because worse can often mean best because it's a great story. That's right. Um, often the worst ones are the most absolutely mind-numbingly boring ones when no one's listening. That's true. Um, I don't. I don't um, want to know about those ones. <laughs> no. Well, there's two that come to mind. The worst. One of the scariest ones was when I when I supported a karaoke machine in in Mackay. <laughs> On my first tour, and this beautiful family had come along um, from somewhere because um, they'd heard falling airplanes on the radio. Yeah. And uh, it was my first kind of tour, but but I was supporting this, and it was rugby union night. Oh, yeah. And um, this guy came up to me, and he said, um, he, stu- he stood right up in front of my microphone, and he said, if you don't stop playing soon, we're going to kill you. That's what he said to me. Jesus. It's <laughs> like this meathead, and I I still hadn't played Falling Aeroplanes, and um, um, this this poor little family was just sitting there waiting for it. They'd come up to me in the break, said, "Oh, we love you know, heard you on the radio." And so I went through this moral dilemma: do I do an original or do I do a cover and survive? Yeah. And so I just said that this is. I said the next song is a very obscure. Cold Chisel B-side. And ever, and this, like, this cheer went up with all these rugby union guys and I sang Falling Aeroplanes. And they were pretending they kind of knew it. It was so weird. 
So what's what's your other story? <laughs> um, the other one is in Estonia. Um, I was playing this festival, and for a few years there, we will go into Estonia a lot. It's just yeah. Um, I just love playing there, and uh, I've been invited to play this festival down south on the border, and it was in a, a pretty you know um, little town, but it was guarded by um, these young kids with guns. What? Um, yeah, there's just like, they, they, I've got a photo of one of them. He looks like he's in his like older brother's hand-me-down army uniform because he's just like this stick figure in this like massive uniform holding a, a, a rifle. Jeez. I was like, this is, this is a weird scene. And uh, I was on, I remember Kimya Dawson was playing. So she was waiting side stage. She was on after me. And um, there's kind of this homeless woman that had somehow gotten into the compound and um, someone, I'd just heard that she lived on the street and she was, and when I was playing, um, she was kind of getting up and dancing and stuff and annoying people. Everyone was kind of sitting on the grass listening and she was getting in people's faces and I don't know, apparently she smelled bad. She was like, just hadn't showered in months and kind of this just, but she was just, getting into the music, you know, like just loving, yeah. loving life. And then suddenly this security guard comes over and tries to take her away. And um, she just quite somehow wrestled free of his grip and was like um, just started running. And, the, and this security guard's chasing her, but he can't get her. And then suddenly there's another couple of security guards and they're just this weaving in and out, like trying not to step on these people. <laughs> they're just running all the way, you know, around this this the audience and then suddenly the army the proper army people arrive and it was just like a benny hill show it was like this all all the and i'm standing there trying to play and um people are just now you know not really watching me and that's right that's right and also just before this had happened this guy with a mohawk had gotten up and started playing the drum kit that was set up for another band (laughs) so it's just drumming like break beats no just all over the place. He was wasted too. And I'm like, why aren't these security getting him off? Why are they, why are they worried about this woman? And so a lot of the, especially the friends that I had there in the audience and um, some of the other just people who realized how weird this must be for me, this Australian, they were la- like people were just rolling laughing in the, in the crowd, just watching my expression and, I was, I just said on the microphone, let the, you know, let the woman dance, leave her alone. She's not hurting yeah. anyone. And, um, at the, that moment, that exact moment that the smoke machine malfunctioned and <laughs> I, I, I just disappeared into a cloud of smoke, <laughs> disappeared. Like you couldn't see me at all. Amazing. And by this, and by this stage, the crowd, you could just, just hear them just laughing Oh, it was just so weird. So they had to come and try and unplug this thing. Was the guy still drumming? He got engulfed as well. But do you have you ever seen one of these things malfunction? No. I oh, it's just like it's just like a bushfire. Like it's <laughs> it's it's insane. But then I'm, I was told that um uh like when when I got an email from my tool manager um Tauno who said that I'd made the front page of the paper and there's a photo of me with my fist in the air and it said, let the woman dance. Amazing. <laughs> As the smoke is just starting to billow out of this machine. 
I never got to see it, but I hope oh. I hope that that is true, that that actually exists somewhere. I would love to see that. That sounds so perfect. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm really glad that we got through this um, this fate-doomed uh, chat. Yeah, now it'll just like, I'll try and send it to you and it'll end up on WikiLeaks or something. <laughs> it'll get... Or um, I'll press I'll press delete instead of save. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, well, I hope you um, I hope you have a great time in the states, and I hope nothing else crazy happens to you with the um, you know, the border patrol. Oh, fingers crossed. You never know over here at the moment. All bets are off. Yeah. Well, good luck with it. And um, thanks, Sarah. I'll I'll talk to you really soon. Okay. Thanks, Daz. Bye.